As a number of you know, last week was uh, spring break. And uh, for a lot of us, that meant travel. And I, I know that uh, when, particularly when my kids were growing up, travel was always part, part of what went on with that. And, and most of the time, the travel was about mission trips. And for a lot of those mission trips, a lot of it was about flood recovery work. We did a lot of, a lot of times when we go with the youth, we'd go and we'd go to places that had been flooded and, and we'd do work there. And so we, we had a chance after Ike, you know, went down to the Texas coast and worked down in Coons. And after Katrina, we went over to New Orleans. We did some work there. We worked, went up to Colorado and did some work in flood areas up in Colorado. And, and in fact, our youth this summer when they go on their mission trip, they're going to do some flood work too. They're going over to Baton Rouge, and y'all saw the floods this last summer over in Baton Rouge, and so they're going to do some work over there. And so, you know, we would always on our mission trips, we did a lot of flood work. And and I tell you, as a desk jockey, and a lot of times preachers are kind of desk jockeys. You know, I I love to do that because it was going to be my one opportunity to you know hang some sheetrock or to lay some shingles on the roof or to build a ramp or, you know, to have some holy sweat for Jesus, you know? And I, I tell you, I didn't do a lot of holy sweat for Jesus, so I thought, well, this is a, this is a great opportunity to go out and, you know, do something manual and physical and, kind of, you know, power tools and all those good things, you know? And so I thought, man, this is, this is going to be great. And, and so, but, so I clearly remember one of the orientations that we went on. We, we went to the, to the work area, and we, we got there, and the person who was kind of showing us the ropes and talking to us about, you know, what was important, we went out on the job site. They had this word, word to share. They said, you know what? Sometimes conversation is more important than perspiration. I said, oh, that can't be. Uh, perspiration's got, holy sweat, it's got to be more important than just sitting there, you know, talking, you know, talking to the kids or, you know, talking to the neighbor, talking to it's, it's got, that's what's got to be about. They said, no, no, it's important to talk to the homeowner. It's important to talk to the neighbor. It's important to talk to the kids because what happens is, you know, they have been through an event in their life. It's been devastating. You know, where they've had such, such deep, and so what happens is a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, they'll tell their story. And they'll tell their story over and over again. And, and as they tell their story, it's important that you listen. Really important. Because as they tell their story, they're trying to wrap their head around. They're trying to, you know, think about, you know, what happened. And in some way, they're struggling to make sense of it all. And so to listen to their stories, to listen to their struggles, to listen to you know, how they're trying to make sense. And they're not only trying to wrap their head around it, they're trying to wrap their heart around it. You know, wrap their emotions around it. It's somehow, some way, maybe there's some peace in all of this. And so to listen to the story, to listen to the conversations is really, really important. Because what you're doing is not simply rebuilding a home. What you're doing is recovering hope. These people are walking down a road of recovering hope. You know, as we read the scripture this morning, I think the disciples are walking down that same road. I think they're walking down that same road of recovering hope. A lot of times we read the text and we call it the road to Emmaus, but I think we can call it the road from Jerusalem. 
Because what had just happened was they had been through an event that was traumatic and was devastating. And so what the scripture says is that what's happening is as they're walking down the road, it says they're talking. And you may have seen it, they're talking and they're discussing. It's kind of like they take these two verbs and they, you know, so they're talking. And you can just tell, man, they're processing, 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 sharing the story back and forth and back and forth because they're trying to wrap their minds around it. They're trying to wrap their hearts around it. And they say, you know what? There was, there was Jesus and he was great. He was great before God and he was great before all the people. And we saw all this stuff that Jesus did and it was so wonderful and, you know, we thought this was going to be so great. And, and then what happened? Is that our religious leaders, they took him and they, they sold out. They sold him out. They betrayed him. You know, they gave him over. And he was, he was tried and he was convicted and he was condemned and he was crucified. And now it's been the third day. I mean, it's all over. You know, it is just history. It's the third day. And then you come to the last line of the text that we read this morning. I want to, you know, I, I think about that. It says, we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to bring the kingdom. That's what our hope was. And so, you know, as they walked down the road to recovery, is recovery of hope and a very specific hope, hope of recovery the kingdom. And so we find them there, and, and, you know, as they're walking down that road, it says in the scripture, all of a sudden, Jesus joins them. And when I read that, and maybe when you read that, you say, hot dog, Jesus is here, everything's going to be all right, press the easy button, you know, we are done, everything, everything's okay, and, and Jesus is on the scene, and then, amen, this is good, you know? That's what I think, and I think that's kind of where we all, you know, like, yeah, that's kind of where it leads you, and all of a sudden you realize, no, it's not going to be the quick and easy button. It's not how it's going to work. Because what happens, it says that Jesus joined them, but as their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus joined them. Jesus was there with them. But they didn't see Jesus. They did not recognize Jesus. Now, there's all kinds of commentaries about why they didn't recognize Jesus. I mean, some people think, well, they were, you know, re- struggling with kind of the kind of post-traumatic stress uh, stuff. And so they you know, just kind of blocked them from seeing Jesus. Some people think, well, they didn't really believe yet in the resurrection. And so they were just kind of the whole thought of, you know, living Jesus there was just kind of outside of their scope of thinking about things. Some people think, well, God just, you know, kept their eyes closed from recognizing Jesus. I, I tell you, there's all kinds of thoughts, and I want to tell you, I don't think any of them really matter that much. I don't. I mean, the point is, they didn't. And the moment of truth in the scripture this morning, at least in this particular section of the text for me, is when they look Jesus full in the face on that road and they call him stranger they look Jesus full in the face on that road these are people who have been with Jesus traveled with Jesus seen all the things and they call him stranger and then you and I all of a sudden we begin to realize that this moment of truth is perhaps one of the points of truth in this particular text. 
that the road to recovery, recovery of hope for the kingdom, is going to happen. It's going to begin when those who follow Jesus recognize Jesus in the face of a stranger. That hope for the kingdom begins when you and I recognize Jesus in the face of a stranger. Now, I tell you, I haven't preached many sermons about strangers. And I don't, you may have heard a few. I haven't preached many. Most of the time, you preach about neighbor. You know, who is my neighbor? But I rarely preach like, who is my stranger? Who is your stranger? But I have a couple thoughts. You know, usually when you talk about stranger, for me, stranger is somebody who's not like me. I don't know how you would define him easy, but to me, it's somebody who is not like me. Somebody who is different than me. Somebody who is different than you, somebody who has a different look, somebody who has a different language, somebody who has a different economic background, someone who has had different educational opportunities, someone who has a different sexual orientation, someone who has a different religious preference, someone who has a different nationality. Oftentimes what happens is we begin to think about stranger. And we, you know, in my mind it's kind of somebody's not like me and they're different. And I want to tell you, friends, I think God loves the difference. I think God loves the diversity, and the reason I think that is God created so much of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you look around, there is a lot of diversity. There is a lot of difference. I mean, God just much relish in it because it's all over the place. Diversity is all over the place. The differences are all over the place. <clears throat> the question becomes, for me and for you, what do we do with the differences? What do we do with the diversity? What do we do with the one that we call stranger? You know, when I was growing up, and maybe when you were growing up, there we, when we put out the word stranger, there's another word that went with it. Y'all remember the other word? Danger. Stranger danger. You know? And so it begins to happen. When we begin to make that association in our mind, stranger danger, what that does is it begins to introduce the whole notion of fear into how we begin to deal with people who are different than we are. And the way we begin to see the fear, the way we begin to sense that the fear is kind of operating in our lives is that you know, we'll see someone who's different than we are, and all of a sudden what we do is we start to stereotype. We, we start to stereotype. And when it gets suspicious, and we begin to think, you know, well, what, what's kind of going on with, with that person? I mean, is there around? Do I have something to, to be afraid of? Or is there some 
something that I'm going to lose? Is, is there some way that I'm going to be harmed? And, and we begin to make judgments. And sometimes even in the judgments, we begin to pass sentence. I mean, you know, if you begin to see that sometimes we see a stranger, there is a thought, there's a road thought process that begins to unfold. And what I'm going to invite us to do this morning is to begin to become self-aware of that path. That stranger danger, I mean, that is really part, a lot of kind of what we've been taught and a lot of who we are and a lot of where we go. And then we come to the scripture this morning the scripture this morning and we come to the cross because I want to tell you friends what happens is that if we go down the road of fear what fear does is it separates it separates us from one another it separates us from those that God invites us to call neighbor and it separates us from God and that's what fear does and that's not the road that you want to walk and that's not the road I'm going to walk. And that's not the road God wants us to walk. And so what God does is God merges, you know, the road from Jerusalem, the path of recovery, with the road to the cross. Because here's what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus crucifies fear on the cross. Jesus crucifies fear on the cross. Last week we talked about what does the cross mean? Not simply crucifixion. It's about compassion. It's about ultimate compassion. Charles Wesley, but pure unbounded love. That's what the cross is about. And so what happens is as Jesus is there on the cross and as we see that love that is there on the cross, fear is crucified there. John writes about it for his epistle, the first John, he says, Perfect love, it casts out fear. Perfect love, it crucifies fear. The power of the cross is the power that is in our lives, and not so we will never be afraid of things in life or or what's happening in life, but that we won't let fear take over. We won't let it dominate. We won't let it direct. That we will be able to say because of the cross that we have a choice that I have a choice, that you have a choice, and how we begin to look at people, what we begin to see in people, what we begin to recognize in people, the power of the cross crucifies fear. The power of the cross is the power of choice. And so then what we can do is when we look at people, we can begin to look through the eyes of love. We can begin to look through the eyes of Jesus. And we can begin to see humanity. And we can begin to see dignity. And we can begin to see the image of God. And according to the scripture this morning, we can even begin to recognize Jesus. We can recognize the presence of Jesus in the face a stranger. I want to tell you, friends, we've done that. We've done that together. We did that together last week, right here in this place. What we did last week, we had all the family that had brand new babies, and we brought them all up front. We brought them all up front, and we showed them off. 
And it was, what, for those of you here, wasn't it great? I mean, there's nothing like showing off babies. I, you know, I, man, kissing babies is one of my specialties. You know? and, and we're showing off these babies, and as we're showing off these babies, what begins to happen is we say, you know, aren't they beautiful? Oh, yeah, they are beautiful. And you know what? They belong to their families. And they belong to our family, our church family. And then we prayed over them. They belong to the family of God. And we looked at them, and what we began to see in them, we began to see the beauty of God in them. And we prayed that as well. They were knit together in their mother's wombs. They're the handiwork of God. And so last week we had infant recognition. That's what I want to score. It's the recognition part of it. We recognize God in those children. We did that together. And so what the challenge becomes for us as Christians is to say, that's great. We, we can do it in the sanctuary. Let's do it in the streets. Let's take it from this place, from Sunday morning, and let's do it on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday. Let's begin to look at people the way we looked at those children. And let's begin to look at people's faces to begin to see the face of Jesus in the face of the homeless guy that you're going to pass when you go down, when you get to Central, in the face of the immigrant, in the face of the protester you're going to see on TV in the face of the child who's struggling across the world, in the face of the child who's cutting across our parking lot, what we're invited to do is to look at each and every one of those faces because we look at people by the power of the cross and begin to see humanity and begin to see dignity and begin to see the image of God begin to recognize the face of Jesus. You see, recovery, we recover hope for the kingdom when we recognize Jesus in the face of a stranger. Now, some people are a little bit better than that, at, at that than others. It's a learned behavior, and so that's why I kind of share with us today. I mean, that is a learned behavior. Some people are a little bit better than that uh, than others, and, and we call those people saints. And I want to tell you, saints are no different than you and me. Saints are real live people. They're just like you and me. They're just a couple of steps down that road to recovery further along than we are. That's just, that just where they are. Just a couple steps down that road for long. And, and, and one of those saints that, that I love and that you may love as well is, is Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa walks through the streets of Calcutta, through the slums of Calcutta, through some of the most abject poverty and misery and suffering in the world. And I want to read you her words so that we can think about them together. Because what she does is what we can do too. I see Jesus in every human being. I see the man who is hungry and I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. I see the person who is sick with leprosy or gangrene and I say, this is sick Jesus. I must wash him. I must tend to him. I see Jesus. I serve Jesus because I love 
Jesus, the dying, the crippled, the mental, the unwanted, the unloved, each one of them is Jesus in disguise. walking down the road and we can walk down that same road what she's doing is she's living out Matthew 25 and those of you who are kind of familiar with Matthew 25 those are the verses that go like this the righteous who follow Jesus say Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you when did we see you naked and clothe you When did we see you sick and care for you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? you Lord, when, when did we see that? When did we see you on the street corner? When did we see you in the immigrant? When did we see you in the face of the child? When did we see you? Jesus says, when you've done it to the last, when you've done it to the least, when you've done it to the lost, when you've done it to the lonely, you have done it unto me. You know, to walk down the road, that road of recovery. That's the road that we're invited, I think that we're called to walk down. And so, I know that none of us are saints, but I do have an ask. I do have a threefold ask this morning, as a matter of fact, and the ask is this. I'm going to ask you to be self-aware. I'm going to ask you to be self-aware as you kind of walk through the road of life and be self-aware of when fear begins to creep into how you think about other people, particularly people you don't know. Start to stereotype, start to judge, start to be suspicious, start, you know, all those things I talked about, you know, just be aware. And if, you know, if you see that coming, that's just... Good. Just know about it. Just say, that's fear. I mean, name it. You've got to start by naming it. I'm going to ask you to name it. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to tell yourself, by the power of the cross, I've got a choice. Because by the power of the cross, you do have a choice. By the power of the cross, I do have a choice. Fear does not need to guide what I do. Fear does not need to guide what you do. It doesn't. It's been crucified already. It's broken already. And the third thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to start looking at people long enough and hard enough. I love the kids staring at the picture, you know, stare at the dots, you know, stare at the picture until the face of Jesus starts coming out. Till you see the humanity, till you see the dignity, till you see the image, no. Look at them and pray that God would help you in that. Because I believe that when we do that, God will help me and God will help you and will help us get to the place where we begin to see what the Holy Spirit would begin to show. The hope for the kingdom. For my life, for your life, and for the life of our church, and for the life of our world when you and I begin to recognize Jesus in the face of the stranger. Brian Rand, who is a poet and a lyricist and a Christian, wrote our opening hymn, and I'm going to quote him with just one, kind of a one-word change here as we close up today. 
because our opening hymn, the last verse, said it so beautifully. So in a hundred faces, each day, we all can meet a presence. We all can meet a presence with a capital P. Sensed and shown at work, at home, or in the street. Yet every face we see shines in a brighter sun. In Christ alone is love, full-grown, and life and hope begun. In Christ alone, love, full-grown, life strangers. May we see the face of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.